The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. I'm Maura Aaronsmealy, and this is The Anxious Achiever. We look at stories from business leaders who've dealt with anxiety, depression, or other mental health challenges, how they fell down, how they picked themselves up, and how they hope workplaces can change. Today's guest reminds us that envy is one of the seven deadly sins. She calls envy an ugly emotion. But her research also shows just how common an emotion it is in our workplaces. Beyond the workplace, envy is fundamental. Babies feel envy. Dogs feel envy. I mean, just think back to your youth. I bet you can still picture a childhood rival who stirred envious feelings. When I was five years old, I stole Barbie accessories from a friend's house at a play date. I put them in my pants leg. So deeply did I covet her toys and so Envious was I of her bounty in life. In this episode, part two of our mini-series on envy, we explore the deep psychological and familial roots of envy and how it can cause distraction and rumination to bloom. Envy can cause us to lose focus and to fixate on another person instead of on ourselves and our work. Envy can drive bad decisions, like my five-year-old larcenous self. And so we'll also talk about how to shift feelings of envying other people to feeling joy at others' accomplishments. Negotiating your relationship with envious feelings is a boundary-setting exercise. It's one of setting your own boundaries. And that can be a simple or a complex process. And so we'll talk about how to draw good boundaries to limit your envious feelings. Because ultimately, when you feel less envy, you become more successful yourself. My guest, Tanya Menon, is Professor of Management and Human Resources at the Fisher College of Business, Ohio State University. She studies how people think about relationships and how this affects the way they make decisions, collaborate, and lead at work. So I'm curious what made you want to study envy? (laughs) So when I started uh, this research, envy wasn't a topic I would have ever picked to study. It's in fact a topic that many psychologists stay far away from. It's it's fascinating as a topic, but it's one of the seven deadly sins. It's something that you know people were studying power, people are studying a lot of other kinds of psychological ideas, but envy had its own special kind of just <laughs> pain and drama associated with it. And in my research, it actually started my dissertation research, and I was really interested in learning how people in organizations evaluate new ideas, how they create new ideas. And I was doing research with Jeffrey Pfeffer at Stanford, and we were studying people in organizations, and we'd see people actually devalue the ideas of their colleagues. And so when we were observing this, these were ideas that were good ideas. In fact, even ideas that they would grudgingly admit were good ideas. And then they'd find ways to 
put them down. And so that's kind of what got me interested in this particular topic. But then when I started thinking about it a little bit deeper, I was like, this is a topic that has actually kind of been with me at a personal level because mm. I'm an older sister. And if anybody's an older sibling, one of the things that, and I don't know, maybe it was just in my family, but in a lot of families, what you'll see is people say, well, you're jealous of your sister. You're, it's, it's envy that's there. <laughs> and so I was thinking about it. I said, maybe this, this topic was something that I was meant to study just because I'd heard about it and uh, had it put on me even as a little kid. Oh, my God. You know, that's really funny because I, I'm an older sister as well. Um, <laughs> and I come out of that dynamic of like always competing. And also, I always say that I'm obsessed with envy because I went to a really intense all girls school in, for high school where envy was sort of the currency. <laughs> and so, yeah, it's plagued me. It's it's interesting, and I think it's it's a topic that's so fascinating because it's a family dynamic. Mm -hmm. Even before we get into the workplace, you know, your mom and dad is the manager, and you know, you can see all different kinds of behaviors in children when they're little. And as a parent, we we give people the kids a way to attribute to it. And my mom tells the story of when my little sister came back and I was 16 months old. Apparently I turned to another side um, and I don't know what I was doing. Maybe I had an itch on that side or something, but she was like that, that kind of was in her mind as something that proved that, that I had envy towards my sister. But you say envy is an ugly emotion. If it's so ugly, why do, why do we experience it? So this is up for debate. There's a lot of research in psychology and philosophy and other and other areas where some people say, you know what, there's this thing called benign envy where, you know, you and I might I might admire all of your achievements and and it drives me to emulate whatever it is that that you're doing. It, it's it's something that seems to me a whole lot more like admiration, but they differentiate between that and malicious envy. And malicious envy is really where you dislike and wish that the other person didn't have whatever it is that they have. So there are ways that people think about it, right? Like, which is that Schoch, who's a German researcher, anthropologist, he says, the envious man thinks if a neighbor breaks his leg, he will be able to walk better himself. Mm. And it's this element of resentment that another person has what they have. And I think that's why people feel envy is something irredeemable, right? And so this idea that the other person shouldn't have it. It's not just that, you know what, they have it, I recognize that, I admire it, I'm working towards it. It's they have it and it upsets me that they have it. When you were studying all those workers who downplayed and diminished their colleagues' ideas, do you believe it was those people's desire to see bad things happen to their colleagues or bad things happen to their colleagues' ideas, like maybe the new business line would fail and they would get fired? So that's a really great question. I, I don't think that's what they were hoping for. I think it came from fear. And mm. so I think what makes this emotion so interesting is it comes from so many different places. There are many different types of it. And I think what they felt was fear. They felt that if these others were recognized for new 
ideas, what would happen to their ideas, what would happen to their own position. And so I think one of the things that Martha Nisbaum talks about in her book, The Monarchy of Fear, is that you have this kind of threat, this fear, and it can morph into other kinds of emotions. It could become envy, it could become anger, it could become lots of other ways of of, of responding. Well, right, because you also say that emotions are causally interconnected, and one emotion tends to lead to another. My question is, so what's the relevance then between envy and anxiety? Because we know that fear and anxiety are very related. Yeah, so they are connected. And so researchers have found that, um, so Robert Bringle, who's in Indiana University, he says that people who are more anxious and more worried experience jealousy in romantic relationships. Okay. And so, you know, there's another conversation there about jealousy and envy, but when we talk about envy, we have talked about it in the context of threat Mm. and people who are feeling anxious about their place in the world, their own abilities. That's where you're going to see a lot more envy dynamics as well. If people are secure, that's not going to manifest as much. When you're in a place of fear and anxiety, right, it's harder to focus. And it's definitely harder to stay focused on doing your own good job. I think that one of the things that's very hard is to is when you're in a place of fear and anxiety to get your own work done and not fixate on what someone else is doing and why they're better and why they're going to get all the goodies and you're going to not get any of the goodies. Is that consistent with what you found in your research? Yeah, I like how you you talk about kind of where your attention is directed. And I think that is also one of the reasons why I am not someone who really sees envy as something that is even even kind of those more benign elements as something that is necessarily helpful to motivating your own achievement. It's hard to do that when you have envy, when you have resentment, when you're focused on what that other person is, right? And and so this is this idea that when we're so focused on that other person, how can we redirect and focus on ourselves and all of the other things that we have to do? And so in a lot of the work on kind of dealing with toxic people, they talk about it as, you know, you have to set boundaries, right? Mm-hmm. We have to prevent that toxic person from kind of entering our boundary. And the way that I look at envy sometimes is it is a boundary setting exercise, but it's our own boundaries. <laughs> like it's our own eyes that are looking at other people, that are fixating on other people, that are looking at other people's standards. And we have to really set that boundary around ourselves so that we can work, so we can measure ourselves against our own standards rather than some kind of a standard that we imagine other people are living up to. Right. Or that other people literally set for us by saying, I mean, here's here's the thing that's really hard about envy, I think, for, for many of us in the modern competitive workplace is that I do think there's a strong mythology that, that envy sort of gets you ahead, right? Like that envy is motivating, right? That, oh, man, you know, I see my boss driving a Mercedes and I'm going to work hard enough so that one day I have a Mercedes, right? So it's when you when you say that I need to set boundaries against my own envy, well, 
I know that to be true because I know that envy causes me to lose focus and productivity. But I also have been taught that like, I got to want things and that's sort of envy. Yeah. And, and I, I like the, this, this idea of this mythology that we're steeped in, because I think it connects with the social and political systems we're, we're a part of. And so Alexis de Tocqueville, he is this French social scientist who decided to wander around the United States. And this was probably around the time of Andrew Jackson. And he was like, very interested in this place where people were equal. And one of the things he said that comes from equality is if theoretically, you know, we're in a system without caste, without monarchy and nobility and all of that, anybody can get what anybody else can if they work hard enough. And and what de Tocqueville observed is, boy, that creates both envy and shame. So all of these people, if I can get that Mercedes, then I should be doing that. And if I don't have it, boy, should I feel ashamed of myself. And it's part of this mythology that we are steeped in. But that mythology is so profound, the mythology of meritocracy and work that if only I work hard enough, it's very difficult, I think, to overcome. Yeah, and I think the hierarchy and caste, as you know, as much as we despise all of that, it creates separations between people Mm -hmm. and it creates predictability, it creates uncertainty. And what the social scientists were very interested in is that if you and I are equal, okay, that relationship between us can shift, it could change. If I work harder, I can go above you. That's a fundamental instability that's there as a result of that. And, you know, as we as we know, it's that kind of uncertainty, that kind of ambiguity is, is psychologically hard on people. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life, a promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Hi, I'm Tober Korn, LinkedIn's Chief Product Officer. On my podcast, Building One, we dive deep into what it takes to build great products. Recently, we had Zach Perret, the CEO of Plaid, and he shared about his struggles building a financial app for consumers and how he was able to turn it all around with a critical pivot. Take a listen. I personally couldn't resonate as much with the consumer set that we were trying to reach. I just didn't have that level of empathy. When we made the shift to building a B2B product though, I was building the product that I wanted. My co-founder and I were creating the product that we wanted ourselves and we had so much empathy for what that product was. Such a great insight. You know, in that sense, we got lucky because we were, we were creating a thing for ourselves. And then the people that we were talking to also had the same problems we did. They were fintech developers. We'd been a fintech developer. Uh, we'd been trying to build a fintech product for a year. And so, we had such deep empathy. We had such a clear ability to... If you want to hear more of Zach Perret's story and the lessons that follow, listen and subscribe to my podcast, Building One. In an HBR piece you wrote in 2010, you wrote that envy has sometimes been described as a social microscope. What did you mean by that? So Lee Thompson and I wrote that article, and we've done a few papers on envy. And 
this metaphor of a microscope has been used very often to, to describe the way in which we are so focused on small differences and particularly small differences with respect to what we have versus others have. It's this measuring stick and we are so, so small. If you look at what envy is and anxiety, mm -hmm. there's the German word for fear, which is angst, right? I'm probably saying it wrong, angst, right? And so the word anxiety, anguish, anger, all come from that word. And so what that word derives from is narrowing. Mm. And I think the danger of envy is that microscope, that it makes us fixated on others and their mm. things versus ours. And it makes us small, right? We're like focused on the smallest differences rather than seeing ourselves and, and our connections to others in a larger way. Is this emotion, is this feeling making you a smaller person or a bigger person? I, yeah. But I also want to say, I think any person would be lying if they said they never have felt it in their life. And, and certainly we all feel envy. And so I, I don't want listeners to feel shamed for feeling these feelings, right? Right. And I don't think we need to shame people for feeling the emotions, right? And so this is what we're saying. We have our feelings, which are just things that shouldn't be judged, things that we have inside of us, right? And then there's how we explain them, right? That's the cognitive part. And then how we act on them, how those feelings become engines for our actions. And that's where really our choices start. So you can feel whatever you want to feel, but how are you going to take those into actions that are productive for you, for your organization, for other people around you? And that's really the question. And that's the work. Mm -hmm. That's the work. That's the work. <laughs> and it's so much work. <laughs> it's so, it's much, so work. much work. So what would your advice be to someone? I think right now also is a very hard time. It's, it's a very hard time because there is inequality that's rampant and the pandemic has made it worse and a lot of people may have lost their jobs in a totally unfair way. And, and there are people who would say that, you know what, some envy is warranted right now because inequality has, has exploded in ways that are very unfair. And so what's your advice to someone who's maybe looking for a job and is, is overwhelmed with anxiety and some envy? Um, how can you sort of calm it down enough so that you can stay focused and again, re reclaim that attention and focus that you need maybe to find another job or get back on a path? So I think that advice in general with respect to this particular emotion, one of the most important things is that the comparisons we're making are biased and based on a lot of false information. So in the modern world, you know, you have Facebook. And, and we are forced to look at people's really curated images of what foods they're eating, what, what vacations they're having, and what their kids are up to. And there's not much truth in a lot of those displays. I think what you're saying is we have to we have to recognize sometimes there's unfairness. And I think some people say one of the important parts of envy is that it cues us on to justice so that when we see something that isn't fair, right, that envy is something that's helpful to us to call that out, right? But I would also question 
that particular thing because if we think it's not fair, we get angry more at the system than the people that that have it, right? We're focused more on, you know, I could do this. I need to I need to fix the system in some sense. But I think the real thing that we have to do in these kinds of times is to 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 get over the envy in some sense. Like I love when when you feel these kinds of of feelings to surface it, to recognize that you're having it, to respond in with a compliment to the other person to learn from what they're doing okay what is under my control what can i do to get over this kind of response and then also remind yourself of the things that you have that give you strength that give you a space to navigate in the world it's back to this boundary aspect of envy we feel envious when somebody's doing something that we want, right? We're kind of getting into, they're in our space. That's how we feel. And so I think it's really kind of ensuring that you have that space and reaffirming that space that you have. Well, can we break that down a little bit into very bite-sized pieces about setting boundaries? Because I think that would be helpful for people, you know, you have a coworker and the coworker just got an assignment to write an article, right? in a trade publication. And and you feel like, you know, you've always been a pretty good writer and you've done writing for the team in the past. And how why did why did your boss give that plum assignment that has visibility to your coworker? They don't deserve it. You deserve it. And you're you're feeling envy, you're feeling all kinds of feelings that are really getting in the way of your own work. What's the first step? How do you start to create the awareness and then the boundaries and then and then turning it this feeling into anything useful perhaps yeah so so i think what ends up happening so often to people is because envy said something so reviled we we don't even experience it as envy so mm. what we would do is we'd say that person's article wasn't so good the boss must have favored that person in some way the system is corrupt so we we do all kinds of things to derogate that achievement rather than to acknowledge that we're actually envious. And I think this is this is what makes it so hard for us to learn from envy and turn it into anything productive because we're so reluctant to just kind of, nobody's going to say, oh yeah, she, she's a better writer than I am. I got to work harder. I got to, that's what, that's what would be productive, but it's so psychologically hard for people to do that. And so I think it does really go back to self-awareness, which is to stop and pause and even, even write down all of these things and, and then even step back, write them down without judgment right, that you're feeling at this particular moment. And then maybe even think about how a third party might react to what you're, what you're feeling, right? Because the other thing about envy is we're really, really good at seeing envy in other people. We're really good at calling it out and saying, oh, that person is definitely displaying envy. So we're good at seeing it in other people. And so really then asking yourself, this is the goal. This is what this is what is important to me. Okay. And so Peter Salovey says, you know, what is what is important about envy is it clues us in to what we think is important in this world. So writing that piece is what's important in this world. Do I first have to understand that I am feeling envy? Because because like you said, it is one of the seven deadly sins. So it's not something that we even want to admit that we feel. 
Yeah, people, people, it's it's often hard to admit that we feel it. I think even labeling it is is hard for people. And how do we re- redirect it into actions and behaviors that are going to get us to the goals that we want? How do we start labeling it? And and I don't think it's necessarily labeling it as envy. Envy may be part of what you're feeling. You may be feeling annoyed. You may be feeling scared. Mm-hmm. There, there's all different kinds of labels we could put on it. And then just kind of thinking about how we can direct to actions, to behaviors, to strategies that are going to allow us to understand what that boss saw in the writing, what the boss wants, what the boss needs. Maybe there's even collaborations with that other person, a way to learn from that other person. There's so many different possible behavioral strategies that are there. But when we just kind of simply surface what we feel, we can just dismiss that other person. We can just say, geez, they're really not good. The boss is is biased. And we actually fail to to see all of these other options that would allow us to learn. How do you diagnose for envy on teams? I mean, because it's a dynamic that I'm pretty sure everyone is nodding their head out there thinking, yeah, this has happened. Do managers ever come to you and say, oh my gosh, my team is at war, what's going on? And you diagnose envy? Yeah. So I think one of the things that's really important here is you got to let people compete at the right Mm. times. And so, you know, people outdoing each other, people competing with each other, there has to be space created for that. And at the same time, there also has to be space for allowing people to, to come together again. So Lee Thompson and I, we've talked about this whole process of competing and coming together and doing it in a way that respects the rules of a system. And so the thing like what you described is this kind of below the surface kind of passive aggressive Mm -hmm. processes that are really violating and, and they're going under the surface rather than kind of being part of the organizational behavior that we recognize. Is that the difference between envy and competition or just talk about that a little bit? So competition is part of envy. So Mm. I'm comparing myself to you. I want to win. But that envy is really around this resentment that we have when we actually recognize that another person is better than us. So some people say that envy is is a past tense. We've already recognized that they're above us. And competition is I'm fighting to win. It's a process of Mm. me and you trying to outdo each other. And I might not necessarily despise you for winning. But so one of the things that uh, Lee and I have talked about in our work is that we need to create these boundaries that allow people to compete and come together. And so we use the metaphor of sports. And so if, for example, using tennis as an example, uh, you and I could play tennis and we we compete together. And then afterwards, we, we laugh. We have a good time together. We've competed. One of us has done better than the other, but then we're, we're friends again. And you see this in a lot of sports. And one of the things that we've observed about that is because there are really clear lines. There's in, there's out, there's lines and, and rules mm-hmm. and ways that we should be working together. And so I think having that clarity in terms of where we can compete and then when we're off the field, we don't do those kinds of behaviors. I love the idea of the tennis lines, though, because it is so clear. You know, the rules are clear of winning and losing. 
But one of the things I'm thinking about, because again, the show is, is about anxiety and, and mental health challenges, is that when you are anxious or when you're depressed, I think for that matter too, boundaries are less easy. <laughs> Lines become fuzzy and the rules don't feel relevant. And I'm curious if you've worked with people who are depressed or who are anxious, um, if you see them feeling more envy or having a more difficult time managing those boundaries. Yeah, I think the the characteristic, and I, I think this is where your question may be heading, is around rumination. Yeah, the stew. It goes back to that microscope. It goes back to fixating and kind of not getting off of the subject. And so what I was just talking about with, with kind of having these clear lines and, and boundaries and different ways of acting, the person who is ruminating, they're stuck, they're fixated, they're, and, and they're escalating. They're kind of looking at these small differences and, and they're getting more and more wound up and emotional about it. And so they haven't left the court. They're still on the court rehashing that fault, yeah, that foul, that, that, failed serve. Sorry to yeah, labor the metaphor. It's it's how to how to get the person to see new options, to see their feelings in different ways, to redirect. Mm-hmm. Sometimes maybe it's not even a resolvable situation, right? And so maybe that person is just so good and of course we don't know how hard they worked we that that we only see their outcomes we are not really aware of all of the work they've done as well to get there <laughs> maybe maybe we maybe you'll never get there right and as painful as as that message is then maybe it's something to be avoided so that you don't sit there stew and ruminate and it is this mental discipline of saying that my mind is going to this place where it's really, really not productive for me to be. There's a different space that I need to construct for myself, a different conversation that I should be having in my own head. Um, and it doesn't involve that person. It may not even involve that situation. Maybe I'm not going to get that particular article that I really wanted and that my coworker got instead. And so it's really forcing yourself to stop taking yourself to those places that you're stuck in. Well, you know, it's so funny. I was just thinking of an example, and, and you can tell me if this is right or not, but I'm I'm the member of a professional community that's online of very, very accomplished women. And I've noticed that when I'm feeling fragile, I can't read it because the envy and the guilt and all these feelings and the shame get so intense just by seeing someone's innocuous email of, oh, my TED Talk came out today. Can you go watch it? <laughs> like that will just send me into it. I'll, I'll lose the day. And so I just will literally, I'll turn off the list for a day or two. Because I just, I know that I've learned that I it will send me into a bad place. And and, and I just avoid it. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think when we look at Facebook, when we look at a lot of the news, they're geared to getting you to react emotionally if you look mm-hmm. at a lot of that content and you're going up and down and you're outraged and, and feeling a whole range of emotions, including envy, uh, you know, sadness, anger, the whole, the whole range of it. And really that question is then, you know, again, why, why are we getting moved around in these ways externally? Like we're being led on a leash, mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. <laughs> instead mm-hmm. of having control of our own internal compass. And I think it's it's one of the really difficult parts of what we face in the modern world. So it's not just the workplace. It's these people who have these personal broadcast networks on Facebook or wherever. And I do think practicing some kind of limit on those or even looking at them through a different lens, saying this is not reality, this is someone's version of reality for the world. Those are really important ways of changing the lenses that we have on all of these comparisons that we're making. So you give people permission to turn off some external triggers if they really need to focus and get work done. Yeah. Part of what envy is, is kind of you're, you're looking. And so mm-hmm. in anthropology, they talk about the evil eye. And it, it's that eye that kind of looks at others in a malevolent way, in a covetous mm-hmm. way. And, you know, if that's what people are feeling when they're looking at Facebook and other things... We have to ask ourselves, is this kind of making me a bigger person? Is this making me a smaller person? What is it causing inside me psychologically? And there's research, I think, and I think it's some of the most important research for research on envies, Kristen Neff's work on Mm self-compassion, which is we have to be compassionate to ourselves and sitting there exposing ourselves to all these people doing better or better by whatever standard that, that happens to be active in our minds, right? We need to really be compassionate to ourselves, to where we are, and stop that process if it's too psychologically painful. And that idea of just, it's you're exposing yourself to pain. Researchers in Japan have actually found that when people are experiencing envy, the pain centers in their brain go off. And mm-hmm. so this is Tam Magawa's research, it's brain pain. And so you're exposing yourself to that pain. That's it for today's show. Thanks to my producer, Mary Dew, and thanks to Liz Sanchez for her help producing. Thanks to the team at HBR and the studio team who make the audio happen. I'm grateful to our guests for sharing their experiences and their truths, for you, our listeners, and for our advertisers. Please send me feedback. You can email anxiousachiever at gmail.com or tweet me at moraam. And if you love the show, tell your friends or subscribe and leave a review. From HBR Presents, this is Maura Aaron's Mealing.